everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Resilient Leadership Learning from Crisis podcast, produced by The Resilience Shift. I'm Peter Willis. I'm speaking from my home outside Cape Town, South Africa. And though you can hear I'm originally British, I've lived here since 1993. And for most of that time, I've been helping executives to understand the big systemic shifts that are changing our world and their implications for decision-making, leadership, and when you boil it down, the long-term viability of our species. And more recently, I've become involved in working out how we can learn from major crises and make our cities and businesses more resilient to the challenges that are still to come. The COVID-19 pandemic has set off a series of crises in every country. First and foremost, a public health crisis, immediately followed by economic, social, and governance crises. I would guess there isn't an organization in the world whose leadership has not been challenged fundamentally by recent events. It seems to me that the dominant characteristic of this crisis from a leader's point of view is that there is so much uncertainty about how the crisis will unfold, even over the next 24 hours, let alone the next six months. It's an intriguing coincidence that the virus at the root of all this is called novel. So much of what we humans are now contending with feels genuinely novel. What if we could listen in to a handful of senior decision makers who are carrying large responsibilities as they confront this crisis day by day? What might we learn from them that could be of value to a wider audience of people struggling like them to navigate these waters? So to share what this project is going to do, I'd like to bring in my colleague, Seth Schultz, the Executive Director of The Resilience Shift. Seth is in his home outside New York. Welcome, Seth. Peter, thanks. Seth, would you say a few words about who you are? Certainly. Um, I, I've, I've worked the first half of my career as a, as a consultant, mostly helping cities, states, national governments, particularly the U.S., uh, across a series of, of projects, environmental, climate, and helped do some of the work after 9-11, helped work down at uh, Hurricane Katrina down in New Orleans. And then for the last 10 years, um, I've become a little bit of an urban guru um, and climate change scientist working in the NGO community and helped create some of the world's largest city networks, helping mayors and, and policymakers collaborate across the globe on issues around mitigation, adaptation, and resilience, and spend a good amount of time working in the academic community uh, along with folks from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, in writing and helping frame what the emission reductions need to be in order to, to keep the world on a safe path forward. And then, and most recently, I've been um, now appointed as the executive director for the Resilience Shift, which I'm really excited about. So tell us about the Resilience Shift, what its purpose is and what it does. Well, at its highest level, the Resilience Shift is a catalyst for positive change. Uh, what that means is our mission is to help ensure the safety and continuity of critical infrastructure uh, and the services that make our lives possible. I think increasingly people forget or don't understand the basic critical infrastructure that our society depends on. I think we, we have a notion that when we go to the, the tap and, and turn it on, that water's going to come out and we have some vague idea that, it, that water is coming from a lake or an aquifer or a cloud, but there really isn't much of an understanding. We, we refer to it as the missing middle of how that water actually gets handled, gets pumped, treated, stored, shared, recycled, 
et cetera. So we, we primarily are working to help understand, fill in those, those knowledge gaps and bring a level of resilience so that the infrastructure is fit for purpose moving forward. So you and the Resilient Shift and I have been in a collaboration over the last year, uh, a little more than a year, around a project that I began with my business partner in Cape Town, coming out of the great drought, the Cape Town drought from 2016 to 2018. And we've been collaborating to film uh, a range of interviews with key people who were involved in the response, both from government, corporate sector, civil society, academics, and getting them to download their experiences and their reflections on what worked, what didn't work, what did we really learn from this experience, and so on, uh, which speaks obviously to the core purpose of the resilience shift. And as a result, I think Cape Town is in a much better position now than it was before the drought, because there's a really wide and deep understanding of just how the system works and where its vulnerabilities are and, and how they must be fixed and so on. It is kind of fascinating, particularly in Cape Town, for a city and, and um, a community to have gone through such a, a severe crisis like running out of water. And it did capture, I don't know if a lot of people remember it because it was a few years ago now, but it did capture the global attention. Uh, it was the first city really of that size or about 4 million people that was a, on the verge of running out of water. Um, and it, it brings those those issues, those points the reliance on something so critical as water to the to the forefront in unimaginable ways. And I, I do think that the city did come together as, as many cities and many communities do in a crisis, figured out a way how to deal with it. And as a collective got much more intelligent and aware of infrastructure, the role it plays and how to coordinate for the betterment of each other. So I think they have been battle tested recently and now dealing with another major crisis like this pandemic. But of course, what's fascinating about what's happening in this pandemic now is that this is a slow onset crisis and it's the same crisis everywhere in the world. So somebody like me who's worked in, in hurricane recovery, disaster recovery, those are specific events. And while there is many patterns and similarities between those events, they're different based on where they happen, the context, the governance, the community. But COVID is happening to everybody, and, and it's happening in, in similar ways. The difference is the timing. Different countries and communities are getting impacted by it at different times. And the response is also predicated in many ways based on the culture, the society, the governance structure, and the resources that those communities have when it hits. So I, I think at it, 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 the premise, similarly to what we uncovered and, and learned in Cape Town, this is a major learning moment for society, period, writ yes. large. And the ability for us to take those lessons and to learn is, is really the premise of what we, why we came together to do this, Turn, taking what we had learned from our experience in Cape Town at a micro level and now applying that process at a macro level uh, with regard to COVID. Yes, indeed. So... Would you care to to describe for our listeners what the project that we've just embarked on is? Yeah, so every, I mean, at its, at its premise, what we want to do is interview key decision makers from five global companies. So organizations that, that are having to deal with this with thousands of staff in, in offices and locations around the world, while at the same time dealing, uh, collaborating and talking to 
five major cities around the world in different geographies with, through a partnership with the Global Resilient Cities Network. And the idea is that by having a conversation once a week with these 10 organizations, five companies, five cities, we'll be able to capture in real time what these organizations, what these individuals, what these leaders are dealing with. So how, does this, how is this crisis unfolding? How is it affecting them in known and very much unknown ways? How, where is the creative resilience both at the individual level in tackling this? And more broadly, what is their reliance on that missing middle? Now that, what is their reliance on the infrastructure that allows them to adapt and change on a daily, on an hour, even hourly basis? And for the, for the opportunity for us to be able to cap, take those slices, capture those windows of insight from week to week over a period of 16 weeks, I think the conclusion, I mean, we're not sure what it'll be, to be honest. Um, but I, I think the, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see what leadership in crisis looks like and how resilience is created in the moment and, and longitudinally. There is something to be said about the, you know, the difference of post an event and kind of the remembrance and the reflection versus, as you said, going in during the process and, and getting an unfiltered, unadulterated version of what's happening. And, and it is a big difference. I mean, just doing from the crisis response uh, projects and efforts that I've been involved in, the, your mind is so flat out and so full of just managing the minute to minute and mm. you're in reactionary mode. Um, and when it's done, it's hard to kind of encapsulate and recognize um, emotionally and physically what you've been through and how you've done it. And oftentimes it comes out a little garbled in the end. So I think it's going to be fascinating to be able to talk with these people on the front lines of dealing with this in real time, getting that unfiltered view from them and seeing how that changes over time and also seeing how that adds up through the duration of the project. And the folks that we've been talking to and and very grateful for the collaborations and the, the willingness to go into an uncharted area of learning has been phenomenal. Uh, lots of lots of support, and, and I think it's just another example of how everybody is is pulling together in this time of crisis to learn from each other. And at the basis, that's that's what what we're doing here. I mean, we're, we'll be able to not only learn collectively from this process, but we're going to help these individuals learn from each other. And it's something that uh, it's a powerful it's a powerful learning tool because there's nobody better than somebody who's walked a mile in your shoes to give you input and that advice. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. So just from the perspective of the resilience shift, what would you say that we are hoping to learn from running this process? Well, for us, one of the main things we want to do is help ground the concept of resilience. Um, it, it can be complicated, encompassing, um, it's systems thinking, there's multiple points of entry. At the end, it, resilience is all about people. I think this project will also help us make the a really important argument of how dependent our society now is on key infrastructure sectors such as water, transport, energy, and digital communications. I mean, just if you take one of those as an example, the world has almost simultaneously shifted to a sheltering in place mode and working remotely that would have not been possible 15 years ago, might not have been possible five or six years ago. Uh, and yet now large global communities are doing that. 
children are not in school, they're distance learning through digital communications, online video platforms, uh, tele telecommunications. So I, we've been impacted in profound ways and I, we don't, we haven't even really realized it. And, and this crisis is helping us bring, bring that level of awareness to a whole new level. And I, and I, and I think that, you know, the silver lining in that is, is that we will come out of this and we'll come out of this smarter and wiser as did the people of Cape town. And we'll have a, a, a whole new appreciation for resilience with lots of personal stories of triumph and some of despair we'll also have a much keener understanding of, of the things that we need to treasure. You know, you're making me think, Seth, that um, the way you talk about the, the invisible power and value of infrastructure in enabling our global society, what you call the missing middle, um, it occurs to me that what we're also learning is about human infrastructure, human social infrastructure, because we've really discovered in this the degree to which we rely upon each other, even though we're remote. And that is, yeah. in a way, another form of invisible mutual support. It's not engineered. It's something we sort of co-create in the background. But, um, boy, is it sort of front and center for us. Isn't um, it? I mean, it's such a good point, Peter. It, it is um, so important and, and often one that, again, we we overlook and, and don't think about. And... Even the examples that we've already seen in the last couple of months of dealing with this, you know, who, who would have thought that, you know, our, our heroes this month would be the people restocking grocery shelves and, mm. and working at, at checkouts in the, those, those same locations where they, they're getting exposed. You're seeing extraordinary yeah. resilience and bravery of, of retired healthcare workers uh, who are actually, you know, at the highest risk based to their, their age coming out of retirement and going back into the front lines of hospitals as their former colleagues uh, are stricken with COVID. And you're, then you're seeing kind of incredible strengths of resilience and personal fortitude as, as communities, as nations uh, are isolated and human beings aren't, aren't made for isolation. We're, we're social creatures, social, social mm. beings. It is, it is remarkable, Peter, and, and a hugely mm. profound, I think deeply profound point that we're, we're going to be learning about and understanding for years to come after this. So on that deep and profound note, um, I'm aware that you have to move on to another meeting. So I'm going to suggest that we part company now, and I'll just wrap up our conversation with the listeners. But thank you, Seth. And we will be talking again uh, in two or three weeks' time. Uh, we'll revisit where the project has got to. And I really look forward to that conversation. Excellent, Peter. I do too. Okay, take care. Take care. So to summarize, every week we will be sharing the insights that emerge from these interviews within this tight network of 10 peer interviewees to support them as they navigate this crisis. We will then distill some of these learnings and share them with you regularly as posts on our website and these periodic podcasts that Seth and I will be doing in order to help you to navigate decision-making within your own organization. We began the first round of interviews uh, with our decision makers on Monday, the 6th of April. By the end of April, we will have completed four rounds of interviews. And our next podcast, which will be around the end of April, we will share with you. And hopefully, it will have some fascinating lessons. Already, some are starting to emerge from the early interviews. So while we 
wait to put this next podcast together, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our project page using the link in the notes below and leave your thoughts on what's going through your mind as you make decisions during this crisis, or if you have any questions for us. You should also find links there to resources, sharing lessons learned from other crises, and useful approaches for strengthening long-term infrastructure resilience. On behalf of the project team and the Resilience Shift, thank you for listening. See you soon.